0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, For those of you who don't know, my name is Jason Coker, and I'm also co minister here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. We have been going through a sermon series. We do that sort of thing here, typically, uh, called Giving Up Toxic Jesus for Lent. And of course, what I mean by that is taking advantage of this traditional Lent season where... Uh, we might think about giving up something like meat, or sugar, or custing or whatever it is that you give up when you're a part of that kind of tradition. And instead, I want to ask you to think about approaching religious fasting over this 40 days between uh, Lent and what? What are you waving at? Is my mic not working? You guys can hear me, though, right? Yeah. OK, good, 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 good. Uh, So instead of giving up, say, food or sugar or cussing or whatever it is that you might traditionally think of giving up for Lent, I'm asking you to consider giving up those images of Jesus that are not true to who Jesus actually is. And so we're calling this giving up toxic Jesus for Lent. I'm not asking you to give up Jesus. I'm asking you to give up those idolatrous, harmful, violent, destructive images of Jesus that we all tend to kind of create along the way in our lives because our fears tend to create God in our own image. And so I'd like us to take this time to think about the various ways that uh, Jesus has taken on these sort of toxic forms. Today we're going to talk about hyper-masculine Jesus, which I thought was appropriate for a day when we might focus on the divinity uh, of the feminine in God. So before we utter all of this heresy, would you just pray with me for a moment? God, we thank you so much for this church, for the people who show up here for the space of uh, radical inclusion that you have helped create for the way that we are open to fresh ways that you might change our image of you. And it's our desire, God, that our fears and broken desires would no longer define who you are in our hearts and our minds, but instead that we would become people who see clearly and we would be formed by what's good and right and true. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you know, a few weeks ago, uh, Janelle and I showed up with a number of people at a school board meeting here in Oceanside where a group of people showed up to protest the inclusion of pro-woman and pro-queer literature in the public school. And it was quite a circus. There was a parade of people, one after the other, who showed up there to berate the school board uh, members and teachers because of an agenda that they saw that was counter to their religious beliefs. And one of the things that Janelle remarked on afterwards was the number of protesters who were there who were conspicuously muscularly swollen. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, is that they seemed to be but you know, people who dedicated a great deal of time in the gym. And then, just in case you might miss that fact, they wore clothing that was, you know, rather tight and constrictive and honestly looked very uncomfortable to me. Uh, but they were like, you're just conspicuously buff. And then, like, in between, and no offense to anybody who goes to the gym. Like, I haven't been going to the gym for at least two weeks. So I totally <laughs> am with you, right? But, like they would, in between, like uttering profanities at the microphone at the school board members, I, I kid you not, they would be off to the side taking selfies with people, right? Like you know, and like flexing, and was the one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. And that sort of, sort of coincided with the things they were saying, which often amounted to. What's happening here in this school district, at this school board meeting, in our classrooms, and to our children is sort of the feminization of their minds. That what we really need in our society are real men to step up and take charge. We need our sons to become men who will be in control. And this agenda that they were sort of protesting against was an agenda that seemed to sort of elevate this idea that men should take their rightful place in society. Of course, uh, this is, uh, will come as no surprise to you, not my idea of who Jesus really is. But there are problematic passages in Scripture. Gen Nations is right. The Bible oftentimes is not much help here. Revelations chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, for example, uh, says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. And its rider is called Faithful and True, and righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name inscribed that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, wearing fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this depiction of Jesus in the book of Revelation, which is, what John writes from a place of exile on the island of Patmos, this is the uh, Apostle John, the youngest disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he wrote about himself in the Gospel of John. John writes this from the island of Patmos, and this image of Jesus as a warrior is like a hypermasculine fever dream that people latch onto when their deepest fears are that they are inadequate. When we read these words, we can often think that when Jesus came, the Hebrew Bible sort of tells us as a lamb to offer his life as a ransom for many, that that was a kind of trick, a kind of cosmic bait and switch, that again, going back to last week, that in a a spirituality of sort of Law and order, where Jesus is the good cop and God is the bad cop. That you know, Jesus came as the good cop the first time. He appeared to be sort of meek and mild and kind and and loving. But when he comes back, he's coming back as a warrior, and he is taking no prisoners. And this depiction of Jesus, of course ignores a great deal of context, the first of which is, as I mentioned, it's written by a man who is in exile on an island for the rest of his life, eventually to die there. Not only is John in exile, but he is an exiled person who belongs to a persecuted people within another persecuted people. John is a Christian, a follower of Christ, who as a Jew is persecuted by his own people for being a follower of Christ, and on top of that belongs to the Jewish people, who are historically the most persecuted and hated people in history. And so this image of Jesus as a righteous, victorious person comes from the context of John, who is longing for redemption, who is longing for vindication, the hope the desire of vindication is a, a deeply embedded one in the people of israel their hopes their prophetic hopes written about in the hebrew bible over and over again reflect this desire for god to vindicate god's own self and god's own people by demonstrating that god really is in charge in this sense Revelation chapter 19 and the depiction of Jesus as the rider on the white horse is perfectly consistent with that desire for vindication that we see in Old Testament prophecies. But also, of course, ignores a great deal of ironic imagery that John intentionally and poetically uses, the first of which is that Jesus rides on a white horse, Jesus's army rides on white horses. This is obviously a symbol of righteousness. This means Jesus and his army, their power comes not from their ability to kill, but rather from their inherent goodness, their righteousness. Likewise, his authority comes from this robe that he symbolically wears that is dipped in blood. His These readers, John's readers, John's fellow Christians would have understood that this was not the blood of Jesus' enemies. It was Jesus' own blood that his robe was dipped in, indicating that his authority comes not from his ability to kill, but from his willingness to self-sacrifice. And the third ironic twist, ironic imagery in this, of course, is that Jesus' sword is his tongue, His weapon is literally not a weapon, it is his word. John is ironically using the imagery of warfare and armies, the same way that Jesus ironically talked about the kingdom of God. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he said, God's kingdom is like those whose power comes slowly, gradually, gently. In other words, unlike any kingdom you have ever heard of. Likewise, John is saying that Jesus comes as a warrior, unlike any warrior you have ever encountered, one whose authority comes from righteousness, self sacrifice, and whose power is expressed not with violence, but with words, with persuasion, with truth. But when we read these words, we find that we are suffering ourselves from desire for power, we can read into passages like this, a justification for the exertion of power. And that is what toxic masculinity is. Toxic masculinity is the use of power to justify one's self. It is the use of masculine traits to exert your own power over others, ultimately male power over all others. In other words, toxic masculinity is just another fancy word for patriarchy, that men are the best, or as Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes would have scrawled on his sign, boys rule, girls drool, which sure would be funny if it weren't so dangerous. But Jesus, on the other hand, counted women as his followers, including his main Funders of his ministry. Jesus treated women with respect relative to the way that they were treated in their society. Not only were they part of his disciples, but when he encountered women in settings like the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman or the woman from Syria, Jesus consistently did something that many of us would think absolutely appalling. He listened to those women oftentimes had his perspective shaped by those women. Of course, toxic masculinity also involves the myth of redemptive violence, because if being a man is ultimately what it means to be good, and if you lean on traditional masculine traits like strength and the willingness to protect those who are in need, that can quickly turn into a justification to Exert your power over others against their will. And from this comes misogyny, homophobia, colonialism, Christian nationalism, all the greatest hits of our tradition. In her uh, recent book, exploring this sort of brand of Christianity that leans into toxic masculinity. Kristen Kobus Dumais writes, What sort of Jesus are they imagining? Is their savior a conquering warrior, a man's man who takes no prisoners and wages holy war? Or is he a sacrificial lamb who offers himself for the restoration of all things? How one answers these questions will determine what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that is exactly the problem. When we elevate Jesus as the ultimate man's man, the ultimate fighting champion who competes on a cosmic level, then what we get is expressions of violence. And of course, there is nothing wrong with masculinity. Traditionally conceived masculine traits like strength, and competitiveness loyalty and protection these can be tremendous virtues possessed by men and women and non-binary people masculinity is not owned by men and can be expressed in very good and helpful ways, but when masculinity is used as a pretext for patriarchy and misogyny and violence, it contradicts the teachings of Jesus. It's a great article that appeared today in CNN, written by John Blake on the legacy of President Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, in many ways, represents an enigma in evangelical Christianity. He has expressed himself unashamedly as an evangelical Christian his entire life, but has refused to identify with the emerging toxic traits of evangelicalism going back to the 1960s when the evangelical church across a variety of denominations began to align itself with racist expressions. Jimmy Carter fought against that. John Blake writes today that Jimmy Carter, when he was president, appointed more women to his administration than any president prior to him and supported the Equal Rights Amendment and included his wife, Rosalind, in cabinet meetings. Jimmy Carter points out in this particular article, considered Rosalind to be his partner in all things, his equal partner, and included her at the table in every major decision that he had to make, in his presidency and afterwards, because he truly believed That women were equal to men and attributes that to his belief in Jesus. That is not the norm in popular Christianity today. I want to leave you with this image of Jesus from Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39. I could talk a lot about the feminine traits of God. Janelle already mentioned some of those. But I wanna leave you with this image of Jesus after he is rejected by the leaders in Jerusalem. Matthew 23, verse 37 says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Here Jesus explicitly identifies himself with the feminine. First, he condemns violence in verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. He explicitly says that Jerusalem's problem is that it has leaned on violence as a means of getting its will. And he goes on to say in verse 38 that desolation is the consequence of that. In this short lament, Jesus identifies violence as a problem and as the problem that causes other problems. Jerusalem's destruction will come because it has embraced destruction. And Jesus, of course, identifies himself in verse 37 as a mother hen who desires to gather people like a hen gathers her chicks. This is Jesus identifying with maybe the ultimate feminine trait, care, comfort. Again, Masculinity and femininity are not traits that are owned by the biological sexes. They belong in each of us in different measures, and Jesus demonstrates this. Finally, in verse 39, he establishes that mutual consent is a divine virtue. Read that again, verse 39, for I tell you, You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He begins his lament with a condemnation of violence, and he ends it by elevating consent as a divine virtue. If you don't want me, that's fine. You have to want me. I won't overpower you or overcome you or use force. To rescue you. Imagine that consent is a virtue that God not only values but practices. What would that mean for us if we took that to be true? What would it mean for us if we took it to be true? That God is both masculine and feminine, that God calls us to be masculine and feminine, that God calls us to be people who reflect God's own image in reflecting in rejecting violence, in embracing care and consent as divine virtues. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for today, for this. Opportunity for these words to challenge us and stretch us. It's our prayer today, God, that you would slowly over these next few weeks as we move towards Easter, that you would slowly remove from us those toxic images of Jesus that we have latched onto. We confess that sometimes these images of Jesus are projections of our own fears and our own sense of inadequacy or perhaps our own woundedness and our desire to be redeemed and vindicated and empowered finally once and for all. So we pray that if that's the case, that you would teach us not to create you in the image of our trauma or the image of our wounds, but that we would instead learn to see you for who you really are. That we would learn to gain an imagination for goodness and righteousness and peace. And that we would allow you to elevate us to the place where we can consistently embody and practice those virtues. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: feeling nervous, don't know why I didn't feel nervous last time. Um, <laughs> so I've had this on my mind for a while to say um, some lyrics from one of Joey's songs called Create Community and say it as a poem. If anyone knows it, they can say it along with me. Um, it just it came to have a lot of meaning to me because It's about our unity, and it's about the sanctuary that we have here. And I'm I'm getting to the place where I don't, I'm trying not to even call this the church. I call it the sanctuary. It's my sanctuary. Um, Anyway, let me read this poem to you that was written by Joey. Love has brought you here, lifted you higher. In this sanctuary, you find home. May you not forget, in this place where we are met, your hands are love god manifest in unity so let us all reach out in a gesture of god's grace and in this way create community and in this way create community so that's a really great segue for our community groups which are starting up again and so take a look on the website um find the QR code, <laughs> find the pamphlets, it's it's all around you. Um, we just met at my house, one of the community groups on Friday, it was amazing. And I just really encourage everyone to take part in that. And beyond that, just take part in our life here um, in the sanctuary. There's so many opportunities and it's really great because you can do if you want to do it, you only have to do it once a month. You can help with the slides. You can help with Sunday school. I don't want to leave anything out. You can take part in the music ministry and leaving stuff out. Uh, I don't know. Look at the website. I can't, I can't remember the rest. <laughs> um, welcoming. We need people also on the welcoming committee, which is a privilege. Um, and again, that opportunity, you only have to do it like once a month, so it's not a big difficult thing to do but I'll get you included Um, with that let's see if you'd like to support our mission financially um, again QR code (laughs) box look at the website we hope that you will support what we're doing here and um, benediction just get involved in this community and just invite You're all invited. So just everyone get involved. And if you need a little encouragement, grab anybody. You see here, ask how you can get involved. So um, that's it. Uh, May the peace of God be with you. Also see you. Good Good. Have a good day, everyone.